So, <clears throat> so tonight we begin this six-week or three-month uh, journey together in earnest. No more messing around. <laughs> now we're really starting to investigate this, what they call the great matter, right? The great matter of life and death. The great matter of suffering and freedom, of self-hatred and compassion. The great matter that in some way is at the heart, to me anyway, is at the heart of all of life. Exploring what gives for me all of life meaning, which is just, just being fully present and understanding our hearts and minds and the world as it is. It's like so amazing to me that the, the freedom that the Buddha spoke about, this, this uh, really purifying the habits of our heart and mind, really shifting the default mode, you know, from confusion and self-dislike and fear and the illusion of separate isolated existence that gives rise to greed and fear and cruelty, shifting that default mode to one of pure wakeful presence with this moment that, that uh, manifests in our hearts, in our minds, as wisdom, as compassion, as all those beautiful qualities that were mentioned this morning, you know, like uh, one time I had a teacher who said, uh, however you want to describe the, the, uh, the experience, but just the manifestation of heart and mind of, of awakening, we'll all have different words for it because there's no word that accurately describes. So I kind of love that go around this morning, you know, everybody throwing in the different word, you know, and somehow we all get the mandala, just like we're a whole mandala of people here together, exploring this together and in solitude. Like Stephen Batchelor's book, Alone with Others. It's how we are here, alone with others. And both of those, essential. That's what I was going to say. So, you know, I, I personally feel like this, this choice of how to spend your time for six weeks, for three months, is really radical in this world, in whatever culture we each come from. The choice to uh, start where we are and to really turn our attention wholeheartedly 24-7 for you non-American uh, English speakers, 24-7 means 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You get time off to sleep in the beginning. <laughs> but then mindfulness gets stronger. And you won't want any time off. You won't, because it's so much more rich and alive just to be awake, even when we hate what we're being awake for. Just being awake, being present, instead of just falling asleep into our old habits of reactivity. It's just so much more worthwhile, in my opinion. Anyway, 
it's, it's a really radical. The, the Buddha, as I'm sure you know, often described his path and his teachings as, as going against the stream. That to really follow this path of awakening is moving against the stream of, of, of his culture and his society back 2,600 years ago in India. And so in all of our different cultures and societies, in some way, going against the stream. And yet there's the, I mean, I'm certainly not a, a, <clears throat> a student of all the philosophies and religions of the world, but various different ones I've read about. There seems to be a core of, you know, a solitude of the mystic, of the, the call to turn our attention inward to our own mind and heart, to discover not only how we suffer and to free our own self from that suffering, but as a way to share our being, our understanding, who we are with all of humanity, with all the people that we come in contact with. I mean, we can't help it. We are who we are, and whoever we come in contact with is going to be affected by that, right? Just as we are affected by who we come in contact with. So choosing this this period of silence to really look inward, to, to choose to take a refuge in awareness, in wisdom, in compassion, over uh, comfort of our habits of mind and heart, or over just the, the pull of reactivity, just the, the pull of wanting can be so strong. Have you noticed that? <laughs> just so strong. And not only wanting. So just choosing to give yourself, to give the world this time is, I, I feel like it's really radical. As the Buddha said, it's against the stream of, you know, what most people in all different cultures tend to do and the messages we get. A big reminder of why <clears throat> I probably don't need to mention to the, those of you who live in the States that <clears throat> today's the 9-11, right? So it's the anniversary of that uh, huge terrorist act. <clears throat> One out of 10 zillion examples on this planet, both in the history of this country, in the history of most other countries, in the past, in the present, of how much, uh, how much pain and sorrow and suffering can be created by even a few people filled and driven by fear, by hatred, by greed. You know, never mind you know whole huge segments of any population, and it's also. I was just was hearing on the radio this morning. I don't want to say there's just only the negative, but certainly as an example, 9-11 as an example of all the history of violence and cruelty and oppression and war and bigotry for all different reasons, whether it's ethnicity or sexual identity or wanting someone, someone else's property or some other country. some other country's property. You think that one will be better? 
Okay, we'll see how far we get. We'll just keep changing. I mean, and of course, these um, acts of cruelty and violence are not always responded to with cruelty and violence. There's uh, as much nobility and courage and generosity in the world as well. So just just to say with 9-11, just to keep it simple. I mean, that's not simple, but to keep it with one. Um, of course, we, we know in New York the the courage of so many people who, and generosity, who responded immediately, right, and who risked their lives and gave their lives. And just a, there was a, you know, just such a general sense of people pulling together and caring for one another. What makes me a little sad in retrospect is how we remark on that as a special thing. And uh, I heard on the radio, and I didn't know this, that... Um, a few people got together over some years and they got the U.S. Congress to pass, it's not a law, I guess it's just a resolution, making the anniversary of 9-11 what they call a day of service. So to kind of commemorate it in a wholesome, beautiful way. So I thought, okay, that's great that the Congress could do something like, that's great, you know, they could pass that. And they were giving examples of lots of people in New York, all over the city, who were going to different, say, firehouses, because you know the firemen were some of the big and women were some of the big heroes at that time, and just painting the firehouses or cleaning up, and you know it was kind of lovely because the, the fire the fire people <laughs> the fire people were like wow I can't believe someone's coming and painting our firehouse how amazing, and the people that were doing it were like this is so wonderful to do something for someone else. Which is great. That's you know. So there's wonderful responses too. I don't want to just you know hark on the negative, but these diff- these horrible uh, examples of fear, greed, cruelty, violence, whatever, just keep on happening in this world. So the radical thing I feel like we choose in coming to uh, an experience like this not as an escape, which of course that's what people who don't understand meditation usually think, oh, you're going to go get calm. That's what people say to me all the time, what do you do, I teach meditation. Oh, I could use that, I need to get calm. I think you have no idea. (laughs) What you really face, coming face to face with all the habits in our own heart and mind all the default mechanisms that would lead me to respond to cruelty with anger, you know, to hatred with hatred, to feel that I need to protect by lashing out, to greed with greed. And I'm not saying we should then think we shouldn't do that. I'm thinking more, let the, the, the courage that we bring to our practice of awakening is this, this interest, this willingness not to judge, but to really look in our hearts and minds and see what's going on here, you know? Can I respond in another way? There's a well-known story of the Dalai Lama when someone was asking him, you know, you know how, how can it be when your country of Tibet has been so uh, kind of overrun by the government of China and uh, so many of the Tibetan uh, people have been killed or put in jail. The monasteries, the nunneries destroyed. 
so many of you have fled to India, and yet you, you know, refuse to go to anger, and you still have compassion and forgiveness. How can you do that when everything's been taken from your country? And he said, well, the Chinese government may have taken the country. Should I also give them my heart and mind? That's our choice. Not such an easy choice. Not such an easy choice. It's not an act of will. One of my teachers, Burmese teacher, Sayada Utejaniya, has little funny, pithy comments. And someone said to him, when asked him when he was here, said, okay, it's fine being on retreat, exploring when um, difficult habits of mind come up, greed, cruelty, hatred, and really being open to exploring them, not judging, not running, just seeing with affectionate curiosity, understanding, and trusting that that understanding grows naturally from awareness, which is so cool, and that the understanding itself, wisdom itself, is the function of transforming our responses. So they think, so okay, that's all well and good on a retreat when people are in silence and enough comes up anyway. What about when we go back to life and people are basically mad, you know? People are acting insane, or just, and, and not even in the big picture, but just who you run into in your life on the street. How do you deal with that? So Tejaniya said, he said, you, think, you realize that they're giving us a Dhamma lesson. They're saying, don't be like this. <laughs> and they're saying, I don't want to act like this, or think like this, or feel like this. So in my experience, I don't know if it's the same for you, that's not so simple, right? Easier said than done. If it were only an act of will, have you ever thought, you know, I'm just not going to get angry at that person again. Have you ever thought in your relationship or with family members, I'm not going to, I'm never going to say that to them again. I'm never going to criticize that thing that drives me crazy. I'm never going to criticize it again. And you know, how long, how long before it pops out of the mouth? Again, maybe I'm the only one, but how long? It's not an act of will. So that's, don't take that as a discouragement. Take that as an incredible relief. Because it's not an act of will. So when tomorrow you're standing in the breakfast line and somebody takes the last banana and your mind goes into, you know, killer mode, but you won't act on it because Bonte's going to give us the refuges and precepts. You just see, oh, wow, you stand back and go, it's not an act of will to stop it. You bring affection to curiosity and go, wow, look at that. Isn't that amazing? And that shift to affectionate interest, to awareness, to not taking it so personally, but really seeing how does the mind work, that's the shift that can change our world. Moment after moment after moment, that's our practice. It's not an act of will, so just put down trying, but show up 24-7 for this moment. And the steadiness of awareness is really the condition that allows Panya wisdom to arise. Just the the recognizing accurately. It's so cool. Once we stop 
trying so hard to make what we think ought to happen happen when we really have no clue what ought to happen, but we keep on trying. We just forget it. Right now, just put it down. And just notice what's happening now in the body, in the mind, through all our activities of the day. With affection, with interest, without expectation. That's our job. Another quote from His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. He says, in the morning, I practice to quiet and calm my mind. Apparently, he gets up at like three or four every morning and practices for five hours. And then the rest of the day, I use that, that quiet and calm to serve humanity. So there's not really any way I feel that what we're doing is in any kind of a running away. I mean, there's moments, God knows, we all run or run away, but ultimately... We're coming closer, like I think Andrea said, from A to A. But we really get to know and understand A. And then we stop fighting with reality. And that wisdom manifests as compassion, equanimity, all the beautiful things you guys said today. So then I just want to uh, offer, if it's helpful, um, a couple of reflections just to start, to kind of set an attitude to begin. It's from Ajahn Sumedho. He's, a, he's a, a, an American uh, man who has been um, a monk in the Thai forest tradition. He was a student of Ajahn Chah for, I don't know, 40-something years, a really long time. And I found him quite uh, inspiring in many ways as a teacher. And one time, I remember he said, it's really stayed with me. He said, you know, the, the, in the heart, the mind, the attitude of gratitude and contentment in our heart, in our mind, are very supportive conditions for awakening. And so I just want to mention that a minute. Let's see that meditation isn't an isolated activity. It's just something we, we do, 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 and don't pay any attention to what's the weather in our heart, in our mind, what's going on along with it. It's essential to include the whole package. And there are many um, places in, in the Buddhist suttas, the Buddha discourses, where the Buddha kind of, before he starts teaching someone, he doesn't just go in and hit them with the highest, boom, you know, you've got to understand anatta right now, boom, there's no self, that's it, get it. You know, he kind of, some people, but because... And we wish the Buddha were here because apparently he could read everyone's mind and know exactly what to say to them that they would be able to hear and understand. Wouldn't that be great? However, here we are. And we often, I just can't move. Okay, that's a test. He often would, when beginning teachings, lead someone in what he called graduated teachings. He'd first talk about Uh, generosity and virtue, to bring a lightness, a brightness, an openness to the mind and the heart, to actually move it away from being caught in wanting or fear or any of the hindrances. Because when we're really caught in aversion, caught in wanting, don't recognize it, we can't hear and understand, you know, non-greed, because greed's saying no way, you know. So, there's, there's many suttas where the Buddha really starts by brightening the heart. 
So it's not that we need to practice from a place of misery. You'll hit places of misery, but you can bring an interest to it, but we don't have to start from there if we have a choice. And we often do have a choice. So there's many ways we'll talk about that. But just the, these are three little reflections that came to me. You might find ones of your own that are more specifically helpful for you, but just kind of help set, set a tone to you know, help to relax, to, to bring the heart and mind into a receptive mode, an awake and energized and interested mode. So gratitude and contentment. So for me, often reflecting at the beginning of a retreat like this, wherever, but since this is where we are, uh, consciously to just tune your mind into various aspects that you can uh, feel an appreciation for, uh, a gratitude for. In a way, it's like tuning into what we'd call a, the Pali words are dana or generosity, metta or loving kindness. So it's kind of a field that we can all be in here together that's held really through generosity and loving kindness. That's one way. I first started noticing that when I was um, doing retreats in Burma at a, at a monastery and really so supported by the lay women, there's mostly women, but some men too, who work there, who serve the food, who do the cooking. I mean, amazing, amazing amount of work that these women mostly do to serve all the yogis. Yogis is the word we use in Burma for anyone who comes on retreat. All the yogis who come there, from whatever country, Burmese mostly, but some foreigners, and they do it with so much um, happiness, at least externally. I mean, I can't read inside, but there's a smile. They're going so out of their way to help you get the food you need, to help you in whatever way they can, to support your practice out of, you know, love of, the Dhamma, so this, I really would feel when I was having a hard time, just kind of look around, and I mean, it started to percolate uh, unconsciously, and then I started to use it consciously. I would just notice, you know, the people around working so hard with so much joy to support me. Now, we could go to the bad side with that and say, I'm so worthless, and here they are working so hard to support me. That's not what, that's not useful but rather to say, wow, feel the, the metta, feel the loving kindness, the friendliness, the generosity, and let that brighten your mind and heart because it's a circle, a cycle. There's the reci- generosity doesn't work if there's not a recipient. And so to actively receive and rejoice in that, to actually appreciate and have gratitude brightens our heart and mind, and it becomes a much richer easier field to keep practicing in. So here I look around at all the staff who are supporting us and all the beautiful touches to the fact that all of us here together, just by our presence, are supporting one another. And I think you may start to feel that as the days go on and you're dragging yourself through another walking period and someone else is going by, if they can do it, I can do it. You know, you may not be grateful then, but later you will be but just to to consciously bring it in. The work meditation that each of you are doing is a huge generosity to support all of us here together as you're doing it. You can be grateful to appreciate your own generosity and be grateful for the others. 
or reflect on all the people in your life and all the circumstances in your life that are supporting you to be here. For everyone, it's, it's a lot to be able to come here. There's people that are sacrificing and supporting and letting us be away. Really, to feel gratitude for that, you know, and that can brighten us. It's not like, oh, it's like a real, a real beautiful quality. All the generous donors that have supported IMS that have made all these retreats possible, really uh, appreciating that as another way of opening in our practice. So consciously letting our heart and mind brighten through, through gratitude and appreciation. I often do that, a little gratitude practice at night just before I go to bed on a retreat. And often when I start it, it's usually at the end of a day where you just Maybe you never had a day like this, where you just want to throw yourself in bed and go unconscious and think, maybe tomorrow it'll all be different, you know. Okay, gratitude. Yeah, I'm really grateful. I'm grateful the day's over. That's what I'm grateful for. (laughs) And then, you know, I start saying a few other things. It's not very convincing. But you keep on going. And pretty soon, stuff just starts coming. You know, whatever. I'm grateful I'm here and there's peace and I had enough to eat today. I'm grateful bombs aren't dropping. I mean, it just starts to flow. And then there's this, you know, this energy to keep on going, to keep on looking. The second reflection, um, something Winnie mentioned, I think it was this morning. She mentioned uh, really lineage or appreciation of teachers. She went back to the Buddha, which is inspiring to me. That may not be what's inspiring to, to all of you, but to, again, bringing in a sense of uh, gratitude and inspiration to consciously call in whatever teachers have been inspiring and helpful to you on your whole path of awakening that have gotten you to this point in your life. Sometimes, for me, I can reflect on the Buddha and the fact that these teachings have stayed alive for 2,600 years. That really does inspire me. And there's a saying said to be true that if even for one moment no one was practicing Buddha Dharma, then the particular teachings, not the truth, but the teachings would die out of the world. So I always think, well, we're doing our bit here. We're keeping it alive. We're sitting with all different people all over the world. But again, whatever teachers, whatever beings have inspired your particular path, take time sometimes to reflect on that, to bring them here, to, to let that inspiration renew our commitment and our energy. And the third um, reflection that sometimes helps me often is that of my aspiration itself. This morning we just briefly mentioned aspiration, one word. And um, if this is something that's useful for you, to, to just get in touch with, you know, what's... What's really most important to you? What deeply brought you, not only to this retreat, but to this whole path in your life? So aspiration, not just like, you know, hoping for a a nice experience or something like that. That's okay. We can have those hopes. They'll only make you suffer, but you can have them. But, but, But the deep movement of your heart, of your intuition, that brings you here, that brings you on your path, to tune into that, to reflect on it, and to, to consciously you know, make a commitment, not a commitment this is going to happen, 
but just a self-reminder, you know, in times of difficulty, oh yeah, this is what's important. Kind of like I think of it as a shift of refuge, kind of taking this moment to, to consciously, for ourselves, remind ourselves of our commitment and why we're here. And so with that, I'd like to turn it over to Bonte to take us into the retreat with the refuges and precepts. Do you want this one? Oh, you have one. Okay. Thank you for the wonderful talk. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I would like to talk about uh, 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 the three refugees and the uh, five precepts. Traditionally, that's how we start this retreat. And uh, most people think that's only for starting. And they don't use them in the middle or at the end. But I encourage you actually to use them throughout your practice. It's not just only an appetizer. <laughs> yes. And uh, I'm going to explain them because sometimes we take things for granted, you know. Uh, I remember when I was teaching in Uganda, somebody wanted to become a Buddhist. And uh, uh, she asked me how to become a Buddhist. I said, oh, you know, you can take the three refugees. And then I explained, and all the time she was frowning and said, what's wrong? She, she said, I have a question. What if I cannot feed the three refugees? At that time, I was in Uganda, and she thought that actually in order to become a Buddhist, you have to feed the three refugees, the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. So she was very apprehensive because she said, that's too much for me. So I always uh, explain people what it means, like the three refugees, actually, because I don't know some people may not know this, but I assume most people know what they are. So in order something to be called a refuge, it has to have these two qualities. One is protection, another one is accessibility. So those two things keep in mind, protection and accessibility. Think of an umbrella, let's say, when it's raining. So you need an umbrella to protect you from the rain. So whenever you use an umbrella, you have always to protect it. If you don't protect it, there will be many holes. And next time you take it, you get wet. <laughs> it's because you didn't protect the umbrella. It can't protect you. So the same thing, we have to protect the Dhamma. We have to protect the, the, this uh, uh, Dhamma and Sangha and uh, the Buddha, so they, it will, they will protect us also. This protection is uh, actually very important. You can even ask protection from what? Protection from tormenting mind states. You all know what happens when you meditate. <laughs> What happens? Some difficult mind states, some mind states are very good, but some others are difficult. So we need protection. 
I think most of the protection we need is from even doubt. At the very beginning of the retreat, uh, we, might have, we might have doubt. Why did I come here? I would have stayed home and we'll go for vacation in Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> Actually, that's what happened to me when I came here. <laughs> I came from South, South America. I spent one year in Brazil and uh, yeah, Chile and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Bolivia. I'd seen so many beautiful things. And a friend of mine said, uh, Krishna Multi said the, the truth is a pathless path. Uh, so the truth is a pathless path. So what are we doing here? So actually, my friend kind of casted some shadows of doubt about the, this, this whole thing, you know. So I said, maybe I should have stayed there. <laughs> so there's doubt at the beginning, actually. So we need to sail through the doubt by getting into what we call faith and confidence. And once we take the three refugees, that helps us to cultivate faith and confidence and overcome doubt. So, but of course, other mental states also, we are protected from them, actually, when we take these three refugees. So then another quality is accessibility. If you are using an umbrella, you don't want to put it in, in the kitchen. <laughs> you have to put it at the entrance of your door so that you can access it easily. If you spend one hour looking for an umbrella, <laughs> that's not a good idea. So you should put it very close to you, where you can see it. So the same thing, the three refugees should also be accessible. It's, it's not something that is in a book, you know. It's really something that you can practice and it can help you. So that's protection and accessibility. As we go along, you try to find out how you can uh, use them for protection and accessibility. So the first one, the Buddha. Uh, Buddha, of course, means uh, awakened one. That's what it means. And you will remember the historical Buddha who figured out this path. So out of gratitude, and uh, as Carol uh, says, so we take uh, refuge in the Buddha. In the ultimate sense, that's what it means. But in uh, this retreat environment, we want to be uh, able to access the qualities of the Buddha. There are so many, or nine of them, but at least uh, we can uh, summarize them. One is purity, purifying your mind of greed, hatred, and illusion. That one, you can access it. You may not be Buddha yet, the Buddha yet, and I'm not one, of course, <laughs> though my name has a Buddha there, <laughs> but I'm not one, just in case. That means protected by the Buddha. <laughs> so yes, you need to access the qualities of the Buddha. That's the beauty of the Buddha, that he didn't have monopoly over the quality of Buddhahood. So he said, you can do it. You can purify your mind of greed, hatred, and illusion. So that's the first quality, purity. The second one is compassion. Another, 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 the third one is wisdom. So you can be deeply 
compassionate and you can be pro profoundly uh, wise. You, these things you can actually access them as we go. Uh, you can cultivate compassion, you can cultivate wisdom, and then you can enjoy the qualities of the Buddha. And that can take you, uh, it can take you towards the path of liberation as you go. So then um, the second one is called the Dhamma. Dhamma literally, it means to uphold. It comes from a Pali word called Dara. It means uh, many things depending on context, but uh, yeah, here we can say the ultimate Dhamma, which is the various levels of uh, enlightenment or awakening. So we can take a refuge in that. Uh, Dharma means a doctrine, what the Buddha taught. So, so many meanings. Uh, so in ultimate sense, of course, these are v uh, different levels of enlightenment we take uh, uh, into account when we take a refuge. But in, uh, in terms of accessibility, it's the qualities of the Dharma. Uh, it's uh, well expounded. One quality of the Dharma is that it's well expounded. In other words, you don't have to figure out this. I think that's one thing I like about the Dharma. You don't have to scratch your head to find out where is the Dharma. <laughs> it's right there. So, uh, well expounded, it means actually the practice of sila, morality, or ethical conduct, concentration, samadhi, and panya wisdom. It's well expounded. That's the beauty of this. For me, when I came to this teaching, I had navigated many teachings, and I really appreciated a lot Buddhism because, uh, and meditation in general. Actually, that's how I started. I didn't study with I started. I didn't study start with Buddhism. I started with meditation. So what I found out after years of research and searching, uh, <clears throat> I found out that in this teaching. Uh, the Buddha gave us the address. And after giving us the address, let's say 49, no, no, 1230, Barry, Massachusetts. Is that this? <laughs> 1230, <laughs> Pleasant Street, <laughs> Massachusetts, uh, Barry. And then he gave us a map or GPS, how to come. And for me, I appreciate that because many times I've got lost with just only having address. And then you have a GPS. And then that's enough to have those two things. The map, how to practice, and GPS, how to navigate the map. But the problem, this is the problem. People ask the driver. That's asking too much, the Buddha. <laughs> The Buddha cannot meditate for you. The teachers cannot meditate for you. You have to do it yourself. Do it yourself. This is the path. So uh, you can take a refuge in that, that you are going to do this practice yourself, and it's accessible because you have the address, you have the GPS. You have to do the work. So... Um, Many other qualities of the Dharma, the six of them traditionally, but we can also find out that they really, this Dharma is uh, calling one to come and see. It's uh, 
directly visible. This Dharma is directly visible. It's not hidden from us. In other words, from the time we start practicing, we can see the Dharma. We can see our mind with all its compassion, metta, loving kindness, and wisdom, and aversion, fear, anxiety. It's all there. You don't have to really go far away. <laughs> it's just here. <laughs> so uh, we find the Dharma in the books, but just in the text and all that. But really, the Dharma is right here <laughs> in this box, the mind, in this mind and body. So uh, it's directly visible. That's also another quality of the Dharma. Many qualities, but just a summary of them. So there's also Sangha. Sangha means, of course, community. That's what it means, community. So here, as a refuge, uh, we take what we call Savaka, the Arya Sangha. There are four of them. Those who have practiced and attain enlightenment, maybe they are monks, nuns, uh, lay people, they can be qualified as Arya Sangha, Noble Sangha, provided that they have practiced the Dhamma, the different levels of enlightenment, and they have achieved at the minimum stage, which is stream entry. You can do it. <laughs> maybe on this retreat, <laughs> it's available. So you can go to the first level, second level, third level, and fourth level of awakening. So, so the Buddha say, you can do it. If you cannot do it, I, I won't be teaching it. Yeah, so it's possible. So we can take a refuge in that, the possibility of, of achieving that. And also those are role model for us, actually. If we know that nobody has ever attained these stages, we wouldn't be here. Why bother? It's not doable. <laughs> but so many people have done it. So many people have done it in the past. And even the Buddha say, wherever there's somebody, I mean, wherever there's a, the Noble Eightfold Path, there'll be always people who attain awakening, different, different levels of awakening. Right, that's on one level, actually, uh, ultimate level. But in a retreat environment, how can we access the Sangha? We are living here as a community. For me, having lived in a, in a sangha, a conventional sangha in Bhavana society for eight years, I found out some qualities actually that can be very helpful in this kind of environment. One of them is support. Carol said that also, support. One of the qualities of the sangha is to support each other. When we live in a community, we need to support each other. Without that support, it's very difficult to practice. If you do one thing that, that is going disrupt, to disrupt the community, then all the community will be affected. Let's say we all agree on noble silence, and then for some reason you get out your cell phone and hide and say, oh, nobody's going to see me. <laughs> and then you start calling or texting. And that can disrupt us. Just one thing like that. All been talking to each other, you know. 
So we need to support each other. In one way, the practice is uh, individual, but also on another level is actually all of us involved. So another thing, uh, another quality of the song is unity. Actually, we are here from different countries, different traditions, and all different shades. But what brings us together is unity. We are unified here under one umbrella. We are all aspiring to attain liberation. It's a wonderful aspiration, actually. Think of it. Take a moment to think about this. We all spend a lot of time preparing to come here. And when we come here, it's amazing that we are all unified under that theme. We are all aspiring to overcome suffering and to cultivate happiness. Another quality is to live in harmony. We, live, we need to live harmoniously here. So in every level, when we are walk, doing walking meditation, when we are getting our food, we have to maintain a sense of harmony. So this is a way, by way of uh, protection and uh, by way of uh, accessibility. So whenever you take these uh, three refugees, remember that. And it's not only at the beginning, it's also during the retreat, actually, we use them as meditation themselves. Uh, before you begin your meditation, you may want to reflect on the quality of the Buddha, purity, purifying the mind of greed, hatred, and illusion. You don't have to remember all of them, but you just use maybe a couple before you start your meditation. So what we call Buddha Nusati, Dhamma Nusati, Sangha Nusati, that means reflection on the qualities of the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, whichever resonate with you, you can use them actually as you go. It's not only at the beginning of the retreat. So another thing we do along with the, these three refugees is to take the five precepts. The five precepts is a container actually that keeps us safe here. I'm sure you're all familiar with the five precepts. In English, it's, a, it's the first one is abstaining from killing. I don't expect you are going to be killing insects here and birds and here. But actually, when we look at those five precepts, the way they are framed is in a way of abstaining. And I'm sure here you have had so many non don'ts. Don't do this. Don't do this. <laughs> now you have a list of do's now. <laughs> so here, abstaining from killing, it means to preserve life, to protect life. So it's actually active. It's not only abstaining, but also you have to protect the physical environment. You have to protect the mental environment, the spiritual environment. For me, I always uh, I stretch even things. I say, okay, don't kill even your time. <laughs> you know, after coming here and uh, meditating for one week, and you are not going anywhere, I say, no. Why didn't I? Why did I come here? 
So then you start looking at time, you know, if you're part one, maybe. So yeah, when is it going to end? And the rest of it is just walking here, taking photographs. And <laughs> so it just kill time until the part one is finished and you go home. So I extend that one to uh, kind of stretch it, actually, not to kill time, not to waste time. Use your time productively here. <laughs> so, of course, don't kill any insects here or animals or anything, but I really remind you to, uh, to preserve and uh, protect uh, all living beings. Then the second one is not to take what's not given. And again, I don't expect that you'll take things here from here. There's not a lot, actually. This is a meditation center. And also, I don't expect that. But uh, one positive side of this wonderful precept is to be generous, to be uh, contented. It's a wonderful quality of the heart and mind to be contented to, uh, with what's, uh, whatever is available in this facility. I know we don't have a television. <laughs> Some people actually, when they came to Bahavana Society where I practiced in the monastery, they asked, do you have a television? <laughs> Say no, no, this is a monastery. <laughs> so, I mean, you are going to miss your television, your commercials there at home. <laughs> you are maybe ice cream and all these things. So be contented with whatever is available here. So that will help you very much to progress on your, on your path as it unfolds. If you lack contentment, then it will be very difficult for you. That means contentment with the food, your walking path, your cushion. Actually, I tell you, uh, when I practiced in 99, I wasn't contented with the, my meditation cushion. I wasn't contented. I kept on looking for the best meditation cushion. And guess what? It was, I didn't find one. <laughs> because it was pain. I went through a lot of pain, actually. Because I'd spent one year traveling in South America. And, uh, I mean, I used to sit, <laughs> but not for <laughs> one week, constantly. So I kept on looking for the best cushion that will do the trick to overcome pain. I used to see people sitting without a cushion. I said, well, how they can do that? So, and I wish that I really went and do a custom-made one, you know, where <laughs> there's fluffies and all this, and I can overcome pain. And, I mean, this can be a form of uh, discontentment. Actually, I went back and forth in a chair, you know, here and there and there. No. I don't know whether the teachers noticed, but <laughs> what I remember was the highest one. Really, my, my head sticked out very well. Because I was sitting on like a throne, actually. <laughs> so be contented with your cushion. Deal with your pain. <laughs> Don't make yourself suffer throughout the whole retreat looking for the best cushion, you know. So be contented, okay. And then the third one is uh, abstaining from uh, all sexual activities. Of course, uh, uh, 
in a positive way it means uh, to control your mind and calm your senses so not to misuse your, uh, your sexual energy yes uh, all the senses actually from seeing hearing and touching and smelling and thinking so we shouldn't agitate them we should practice in a way that is going to help us to make them calm and peaceful and that's how we can progress in the, on this path of meditation. The fourth one is uh, abstaining from telling lies. Again, I don't expect that you'll tell lies, actually, since you are even maintaining noble silence. <laughs> so, but, ah, something comes up, like when you have an interview with a teacher, and uh, I'm not saying you lie, but there's a little bit of an extension of what you see, actually. <laughs> Stretching, you know. Yes, I'm a sotapana, you know. <laughs> well, wait. <laughs> so there's a, a tendency to stretch our practice. To impress, I don't know, but uh, there's that tendency, the excitement, you know, when you're talking about your practice with the teacher. Uh, try to remember this precept, actually, right? Not to tell lies, and even a fib, you know, not to white lies. You know? So, uh, I mean, this is very difficult, actually. This is a very difficult pr practice because um, it just comes unconsciously, and then we just exaggerate our practice. Oh, you know I attend the fourth jhana in this sleeping. But you asleep all the time. <laughs> There's a difference between deep meditation, jhana, and sleeping. So before you tell the teacher that you're in the fourth jhana, <laughs> you might want to check <laughs> whether you had the bell ringing or not. <laughs> so I think this things comes up actually. So. The good thing that we've been there, actually, <laughs> we know, we have reported to teach, and we know how we have stretched the boundaries, actually. Not telling lies, really, but it's a little bit of stretching. Uh, then the fifth precept is abstaining from taking intoxicants and drugs that leads to heedlessness. So there's a condition there. So, Of course... I don't expect that you came with a martini here or a beer or <laughs> kind of a joint or something like that just to, pro, uh, to catalyze the process of meditation. <laughs> I don't expect that. I don't think that you even resort to mouthwash. I think I had the people resort to mouthwash. <laughs> can do just the job, actually. <laughs> this is not what I expect, but the positive side of this retreat is, I mean, this um, uh, precept is to stay sober and be mindful all the time, to be diligent. And we are going to remind you this. One thing that we are going to remind you is continuity of your practice so that you, are, you don't stay forgetful and heedless. Yes, so, of course, you, if you are taking uh, prescription drugs and uh, some medic medication, uh, you, should, you should not discontinue. Uh, so, but this is really uh, talking about intoxicants that leads to heedlessness. So, for medical reason, okay, you can continue to take your uh, prescription medicine. 
So now that's the expression about this. So we are going to take this in Pali language. This one, your Pali 101. <laughs> so I'm sure we are all familiar with them already. Uh, just to save time, uh, let us do the, all the uh, Namotasa together, and then I'll do call and response when it comes to uh, the refugees, like Buddha, Saranam. I'll do the whole sentence, and then you repeat, all right? So let us go together for Namotasa Bhagavat, okay? Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasam Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasam Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasam Now I do current response. I'll, I'll do the whole sentence. Buddha Saranam Gachami. Buddha Saranam Gachami. Dhamman Saranam Gachami. Sangam Saranam Gachami. Dutyampi Buddha Saranam Gachami. Dutyampi Dhamam Saranam Gachami. Dutyampi Dhamam Saranam Gachami. Dutyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami. Dutyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami. Tatyampi Buddham Saranam Gachami. Tatyampi Buddham Saranam Gachami. Tatyampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami. Tatyampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami. Tatyampi Sangham Saranam Gachami. Tatyampi Sangham Saranam Gachami. Saranam Gamana Sampuna. Okay, so now the five precepts. Panati pata veramani sika padam samadhyami. Panati pata veramani sika padam samadhyami. Adinadana veramani sika padam samadhyami. Abhramacharya Vedamani Sika Padam Samadhyami. Abhramacharya Vedamani Sika Padam Samadhyami. Umsavada Vedamani Sika Padam Samadhyami. Umsavada Vedamani Sika Padam Samadhyami. Sura Miraya Majapamadatana Vedamani Sika Padam Samadhyami. Sura Miraya Majapamadatana Vedamani Sika Padam Samadhyami. Idame Silam. Idame Silam. Magapalanyanasa. Pacheo, Pacheo, Otu, Otu, 
Pamadena Sampade Taba. Okay. So now we have taken the three refuges and the five precepts. Now we have started. I wish you the very best and uh, reflect on these things actually in your practice. Uh, from the, uh, during your practice, you can always recall or reflect on your Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. Or you can reflect on your Sila, right? Uh, that, okay, you can say, okay, you know, the last five days I haven't really, uh, I haven't uh, killed anything. I'm not, I'm not stunned, you know. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, you can reflect, and before you begin your meditation and you do this, even the first two minutes, it's amazing actually how you can free your mind. Reflect on your generosity, the precept of abstaining from uh, taking what's not given. Just think about the, pos the positive side. Oh, I'm very generous. You know, you practice generosity here on the cushion. Apart from giving some food in my arms bowl, <laughs> there's also a lot of gen generosity that you're doing here. You have generosity letting go of your difficult mind states. That's a, another form of, of generosity. To be generous enough to let go of your greedy hatred and delusion. That's it. You can reflect on that. Thank you very much for your practice. I have a lot of data for you. Appreciative joy to really practice in a long time in this way. So I'm looking forward to interacting with you in a silent, in a silent mode. Thank you very much for your practice. Okay. So, Carol. Oh, okay. So, <clears throat> so now, as you know, the schedule is a walking period, and in the next sitting at nine, we're also going to be um, offering and leading together a, a loving kindness chant every night. 